Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. You had a profession before beekeeping, right? Yeah, I was actually a pastor before ah. I <laughs> started beekeeping. And Bees I, are easier to keep in line. Oh, they, they sting <laughs> a lot less than people, I say. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm, The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in Sunshine State. Support for The Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand Natural Foods, like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at seitenbacher.com. Today, we're bringing you a great discussion we had in front of a live audience about honeybees. We recently taped the zest before a great crowd at the Sunday Market of Sweetwater Organic Community Farm in Tampa. The show capped off our honeybee reporting collaboration with WUSF News just in time for the big November honey harvest. Florida is a special place for honeybees. It's one of the top states in the country for honey production. And with its warm climate and blooming plants all year round, it is a great place to keep bees. It's a great place to be a bee. It has an unusual number of local specialty honeys like orange blossom, gallberry, tupelo, palmetto honey, We're taping our show today outside at the Sunday Market of Sweetwater Organic Community Farm in Tampa. I have two people here that know a whole lot about honeybees. Josh Harris is an urban beekeeper and owner of Queen and Colony Bee Company. Becky Deneen is an apiary inspector for the Florida Department of Agriculture and Community Services. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be here. Sure. Thank you. My pleasure. This is a food podcast, The Zest, and we've been talking a lot about honey, but Josh, that's actually just a small fraction of what honeybees do and why they are important. They're actually critical to our entire food supply, right? Absolutely. They estimate about one-third of our food relies on honeybees for pollination. A third. It's amazing. So what kind of crops are they pollinating? You know, how does that all work? One of the biggest ones in the country is actually the almond pollination. I believe 98% of the world's almonds are grown in California. Here in Florida, um, blueberries are becoming more and more um, popular, um, growing blueberries in Florida. And so um, that's Florida beekeepers pollinate a lot of blueberries, a lot of melons, pumpkins. Um, those are some of the main crops that we pollinate with our bee colonies here in Florida. Yeah, one, of, one amazing thing is how orange blossom honey used to be so prevalent. You would see orange blossom honey everywhere, but as you probably know, the, you know our citrus crop is down 70%, 70% of what it, what it used to be. So with that, our orange blossom honey's gone, gone down also, hasn't it, Becky? Definitely. 
Yeah, that's uh, a big concern for the bees as well because it's that was what they forage on. That's their food source as well. So not only do we miss out on the orange blossom honey, but the bees are missing out on their nutrition as well. Josh, I spoke with Dr. Jamie Ellis at the University of Florida. He is in charge of honeybee research there, and it was fascinating. One of the things he said that was despite colony losses of up to 40% every year, the total number of hives is actually increasing very slightly, maybe 1% per year. And he said that is because of the hard work of beekeepers. Um, So what are you and other beekeepers doing to offset those losses? Number one, treat for mites. There's a mite that came over um, from... Um, the Asian honeybee called the varroa mite, and it um, spreads viruses um, throughout the bee colonies, and we lose a lot of bee colonies due to the mites and then the stress that they add on to the other stresses the bees are already um, experiencing. And so there's a lot of different ways to keep the mite levels low. You're never going to completely eliminate the mites. And so... um, He talked about the mite. This varroa mite, he talked about it as he said, if you scale up, imagine on an, a human being, it would be like having something the size of a, of a volleyball, like or a, hanging Or off. a dinner plate. Yeah, it's like stuck to you, your sucking blood. your blood. Yeah. yeah, so that's what it is for the honeybee. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty bad. Very nasty. But we do have to split our hives a what lot. What does that mean, splitting your hive? Splitting your hive is um, how honeybee colonies naturally reproduce is through a um, process called swarming. And that's when they grow so strong, they're outgrowing the cavity they're living in. And so the um, bees will make uh, several new um, queen cells. And then right before that first queen hatches, the old queen will take up to 75% of the bees and fly off to find a new location. So that's a natural process of splitting. As beekeepers, we don't like allowing that to happen, especially urban beekeepers, because that swarm may move into a neighbor's soffit or tree. And and also we lose up to 70% of our bees, so we're not going to get any production from that colony. And so we try to see when the bees are wanting to split, and then we will control that split by um, taking some of the bees, putting them in a new box with brood, giving them a new queen, and then moving them to a separate location. And so um, that's one of the ways that we keep our colonies numbers up, or if we want to increase our colonies, we can split and control that that process. Would you grow that queen yourself, or would you buy it? Um, All of the above. You can can buy a queen, or you can... um, the challenge with this area is we do have Africanized bees, yeah. and so it's not encouraged to um, just allow your bees to raise um, a new queen in an Africanized area, and so mm-hmm. um, so it is recommended to buy a queen from a registered um, breeder, a certified breeder, so that you know what kind of bees you're going to get in that split. So you must be looking for mites when you're inspecting, we Becky. Do. What else? We look for pests. There's um, hive beetles. There's a lot of other... Um, Varroa is really the biggest. Varroa is the biggest. And actually, the state is getting ready to launch a program this coming year to monitor the uh, mite populations and also do some surveys with our beekeepers so we can get a better handle on the mite situation. Talk about this Africanized bee. Uh, You know, I remember hearing about this years ago, and and people were afraid of it because they're aggressive, aren't they? So the Africanized bee is actually the same species as the European honeybee. 
They look alike. They sound alike. They produce honey just like the European honeybee, but they're more protective of their hive than the European bee. So thus, they're a little more defensive when you go up to their hive. Um, what we're really finding is that the beekeepers and a lot of the backyard beekeepers, we now have almost 5,000 beekeepers in the state of Florida. Uh, over 4,000 are backyard beekeepers. So our numbers are more with the um, backyard beekeepers. The larger quantities of bees are actually with the commercial beekeepers. The commercial beekeepers are doing things. They're always requeening their hives on a consistent basis. So we really want the backyard beekeeper to do the same thing and replace any bees that they might see that have some of that defensive nature with a European honeybee. What we're finding is as we populate the area with the European honeybee drones, uh, we're diluting that Africanized bee. And that's really what was important for us to do so. And yeah, so so you can fight the Africanized bee by having more of these backyard right. beekeepers who are doing it properly with right. European. But how does that work? How do they dilute it? They just so crowd the, them out of the habitat? So or? they're mating, you know, with if the Africanized bees are mating with the European bees, we're settling that defensive nature down. So we're wanting to, we're wanting more of that to happen and less of the... Uh, Africanized bees. In oh, our so area. they're just diluting the. It's not like they're crowding out. Oh yeah, they're not crowding the out. They're just changing that dynamics oh, of the bees. They're interbreeding. Yeah, they're interbreeding, yeah, with with the oh, Africanized bees. Oh, that's interesting. When a new queen is made, a, she's a virgin queen, and she'll go out and do usually about three mating flights, about three days in a row. And during those mating flights, she'll mate with twenty, sometimes up to forty different drones. And then she stores their sperm, and for the rest of her life, she's cycling through that sperm, laying worker bees that pick up not only her characteristics, but also the father's characteristics. So by flooding an area with European drones, any feral bees in that area, when they make a new queen, she's going to mate with all the drones in the area. And so the idea is to flood an area with um, gentle drones that would carry on that gentle genetic in the bees. And don't the drones kind of hang out together? I, I they have a that. drone congregation is yeah. what they're called. So the, the boys hang out at the local bar and <laughs> wait for the girls to come by. Yeah. So, so they'll find a branch or something and yeah, then they... There's actually, they, they congregate in an area and um, the queen bees know that and they'll fly. What's really interesting though that the bees are so smart they don't interbreed within their own. The queen will fly a further distance than the drones do so they don't breed with their own pretty interesting oh they're, they'll fl fly they'll further fly further away so they're 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 actually mating with um not their own home homebred boys ah and then they remember how to get back oh they always remember they have a built-in gps system actually beekeepers will actually when they move bees out to do pollination or go out and get a honey source say they wanted to move their bees out to the orange grove They'll do that at night because all the bees come home at night. Uh, then in the morning when they come out with the sun, they actually orientate themselves with the sun. And they're using that sun and the area to identify where they're at. And then they come back to that same hive that next night. That's amazing. I mean, Josh, how did you, you, you had a profession before beekeeping, right? Yeah, I was actually a pastor 
before ah. I <laughs> started beekeeping. And bees I, are easier to keep in line. Oh, they, they sting <laughs> a lot less than people, I say. But <laughs> but no, I was um, at my work, and um, there was a swarm of bees that ended up in the parking lot on a little tree, and so we were trying to figure out what to do. Do we call an exterminator? And um, and I said, you know, I'm going to catch these bees and learn how to be a beekeeper. And so I caught them in a bucket and then called the only person I knew who was a beekeeper. And he told me I needed to register with the state. And so I called the state inspector at that time. And the state was so helpful walking me through those steps getting started. And, um, and I can attest um, with Becky that it is that, that $10 you spend to register your bees, it's the best $10 you'll ever spend. Because if you ever have problems, you can call them up. Anytime I've had problems, I've called the state inspector. Sometimes they send two to three people out there to help you solve the problem. And, and they really do a great work. But you were a hobbyist. Oh, yeah. I started with one colony in my yeah. backyard, and then it turned into two, and then yeah. five. And then, and um, what was it about it that made you just want to do it, this? It full was time? something at first. It was really intimidating hearing that noise, all those bees around. But then I started getting used to it, and it, it became something I really looked forward to. Coming home from work and just kind of going into the the bees world, you're entering a whole different world when you open up that hive, and then you start to um, to get to know what's going on. And after doing it for a while, just by um, the the way um, the bees are releasing pheromones you smell what's going on you can hear what's going on you can feel what's going on you really get this at least for me get this connection with the bees and it was something I just really enjoyed doing it must seem like there's just something to learn all the time oh absolutely and right when you think you know something they they do something that throws you for a loop and you got to start all over again trying to figure out what these bees are doing so Becky, when you do these inspections, is there ever a, what is it that makes you go, oh no? You know, what what is it when you when you get to an inspection, you see a hive and you just think, well, I'm going to have to tell these people this is bad news. Well, the worst news is if the beekeeper has American fowl brood, which is a spore-bearing bacteria, and really the reason why our our division was developed, which was 100 years ago, actually. This year is our anniversary of 100 years in existence. But American fowl brood can spread very quickly to other hives. Um, it has a distinct smell. That's why we call it fowl brood. A bad um, smell. Yeah, it's a nasty smell. Um, it also has little perforations in the in the cells where the bees are, are capping to do on their brood. So there's things that we look for. And if we find that, unfortunately, the beekeeper does have to burn their hive. Um, so it's not good news when we have to share that with the beekeeper, but it's something that's important for our job to be able to make sure it doesn't spread and, and um, become an epidemic as it once was in the early years. What Has that ever happened to a commercial hive? Oh, yeah, commercial hives. We've seen many, many hives having to be um, burned at certain times with commercial beekeepers. Not so much prevalent now. We very rarely find it anymore, which is a good thing, but... Um, there were years that the old-time beekeepers will tell you that was their biggest problem. They didn't have varroa mites back then, but they had American fowl brew. So there's always been something. Yes. So, uh, Josh, what is the biggest problem that you see as a commercial beekeeper? I, I would consider myself more um, of an urban beekeeper. I do backyard beekeeping just on a larger scale, full-time. And so, um, and you also give classes. Yeah, I, I do um, mm-hmm. a lot of education. Mm-hmm. I do live bee removals, and so um, most commercial beekeepers they're, they're beekeeping um, a completely different way than I am. They're they're moving their bees all the time. They're doing pollination 
contracts. I like keeping bees in one spot. I keep bees in the city. Um, and I find that they do very well in the city. Um, actually, your money comes. Your money comes from the honey production. Honey education. production is one big part of it. Um, live bee removal services I offer. Um, instead of having a bee colony exterminated, I'll come in for a fee and I'll remove the bee colony alive, and then usually requeen that colony and, and incorporate it into one of our bee yards. This happened to me recently. Uh, a swarm. And I had already decided to start reporting on bees. Okay. <laughs> it was like karma. And this swarm came and, and made a colony inside the front wall of my house. Yeah. And I had to call someone like Josh. And um, it was amazing. It took about five or six weeks. But they put a trap out. Okay, yeah. They lure, lured them out, and then they went into a different hive. And then they, it was kind of a cone shape, so they couldn't get back inside the wall. Right. But I was happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took well, a while. Thank you for it was interesting. <laughs> I, I actually just got a call on my it way here <laughs> from a gentleman who um, he had a bee colony in a tree, and in, instead of having a live bee removal expert come, he had it sprayed. And he called me today because he said there's thousands of bees swarming all over the yard, and um, he wanted to know what was happening. And they were actually, he had cut the tree open, exposed all that honey, and now all these bees from, you know, who knows, two to three mile radius are feeding on this honey that's been sprayed with pesticide. Aww. And so, you know, we do, you know, there's a, there's a lot of consequences sometimes for killing a bee colony more than just that colony you're killing because sometimes other bees will come and find that polluted honey, bring it back, and you can end up wiping out a lot of bee colonies. I guess then the stressors that you would be facing as an urban beekeeper, what we've been talking about, the mites and the yeah, bacteria. Yeah, that, um, you know, trying to find a place for them is, is a challenge at times. And, um, you know, we can't keep, in backyards, we can't keep 20, 30 colonies. And so there's a lot of transportation, keeping a few colonies here, a few colonies there. And have been really excited about partnering with some um, businesses, um, Great Bay Distributors in St. Petersburg. Um, they invited Pinellas Beekeepers to come in. And um, we have probably about 150 colonies on their property right in the city. And then also Sweetwater Farms here. Um, Is it just an in- like an? In- oh, they have about eighty acres. It's an of, industrial lot, right? It's right off two seventy five in St. Petersburg, and, and that's okay because the bees will leave and find what they need. Right, They'll find the flowers. Yeah, they, they and there's a lot of forage in that area, um, oh, there is. and it's near the bay. And then also um, Sweetwater Farms here. They have two properties, and I have bees here as well. And so it's great finding some spots that I can keep more bees than just you know three three bee colonies or so, but it is a challenge being an urban beekeeper, finding a place for your bees. And, um, and then you're also contending with, we have a lot more feral or wild bees in the city than we find in the country. And so that's also a challenge is keeping your genetics calm so that you're not creating issues with um, bees stinging neighbors. And Why is that, Becky? Why would it, there be more feral bees in the city? Unfortunately, sometimes the backyard beekeepers don't tend to their hives as well as they might need to. So they split, as we had mentioned before. And when they split, then they're going out and mating with the others. We also get um, bees coming in from the ports. So we've got the port of Tampa. We've got the port of Manatee. That's something else that the state does as well. We put traps out at the ports in different areas of the state so we can monitor what's coming in and also look for any unwanted species that might be in other parts of the country. Um, so we're looking for that as well. There's native bees to Florida, but I don't know if those are honey Honeybees are not native to um, 
the United States. They were introduced actually back in the uh, 1900s, I think, for candle making was the original reason for bringing bees over. Um, but uh, European honeybees and African honeybees, again, like I said, are the same species. They're just subspecies of the, of the honeybee. Actually, there's 315 species of bees here in Florida. What kind of plants should we be planting? Unfortunately, for some that are really plant lovers, and I know Brazilian pepper is an invasive species, but our bees absolutely love that. And, and as beekeepers, uh, it's one of our biggest flows. We just finished with that as well. Um, as honey producers, that's uh, a really great source for uh, beekeepers. You don't need to plant those. Don't need to plant those. They're wild. (laughs) (laughs) They're wild. Yeah, don't plant them. Um, Anything special that we should plant? There's a lot of, I I would say, go on a website, um, Florida Pollinator Plants. I know we plant in our garden, we plant um, borage a lot in the spring and fall. The bees love that. Um, Milkweed. My children actually have a whole pollinator garden, and we have um, not only our bees coming to it, but also a lot of the butterflies and the native pollinators as well. And so it's, it's really fun. Um, Firebush is another one our bees love. And one of the things I found interesting is when I start, started keeping bees, I started in the city, and then I got some land up in um, the Brooksville area, and I brought bees up there. And my bees do so much better in urban areas because out in the country, it's just pretty much the native plants and most everything blooms in the spring and then it's nothing. And so I found I had to feed my bees sugar water most of the year just to keep them from starving here in the city. Not only do we have the native plants, but we have so much imported landscaping and trees. So there's always something blooming. Even in December, sometimes I'll get honey from the loquat trees in my neighborhood. And so, and I think that's one of the reasons we have more wild or feral bees in the city is because there is a more diverse um, and a better nectar source in the city than in the country. Completely counterintuitive. Yeah, and I I never thought that would be the case. And so it was surprising for me that I make more city, more honey keeping bees in the city than I do when I keep them in the country. Another thing you can do is let your weeds grow. The bees absolutely love Spanish needle, probably in almost everybody's yard. Um, the little white with the yellow centers, the bees can really be sustained on that all year round because it blooms almost all year round. Porter weed's another one that the bees will love as well. So, I want to ask you about getting stung. Uh, let's say it's a good day when I don't get stung. Do you get stung all the time? <laughs> I get stung a lot. You have those days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, I, for myself, have kind of it still hurts, okay, so it's not something that you get used to, but I don't swell as much. I don't itch like I initially did when I first started getting stung, so you just brush it off and keep going. Do you build up a tolerance or do you yeah. build up an allergy? You know, I, I can see that there's been both. Some yeah. people actually will become allergic to them after multiple stings. Others build up that immunity, so it's hard to say. So doesn't bother you? It hurts initially, but I'm the same as Becky. Once I get stung regularly, um, the swelling pretty much goes away. Sometimes in the wintertime, I'll go maybe a month without getting stung. And then when I start getting stung in the spring, when I'm doing more beekeeping, um, that first sting will sometimes swell up. But for me, if I'm getting stung on a consistent basis, I don't have that swelling um, like I would otherwise. The thing is to get the stinger out. 
as quickly as possible because once the stinger gets in, it actually continues to pump the venom into you. So if you can get your stinger out quickly, then just you don't get Just with some tweezers or something? No, you just take your fingernail. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely want to scrape it out of your skin because yeah. if you try to s- grab it, you end up grabbing that, um, that venom pouch and you squeeze all the Ooh. venom into your into your body yeah. and so you want to scrape it out that's yeah. good to know that's worth the price of admission right there, there you yeah. go. <laughs> didn't you tell me that november was the big honey harvest yeah that yeah, like becky was saying um yeah. the brazilian pepper is one of our major honey flows here in in kind of tampa bay area and south and so that blooms in september into october and then it takes the bees time to dry that nectar down into honey and so we monitor our colonies once um, they have capped most of that honey over. When the bees get the moisture level to where they want it, they cap it over with wax, and that's the way they store their honey. And so um, right now I've been harvesting honey for the past couple weeks and trying to get through all the honey mm-hmm. right now. Likewise. Yeah, likewise. So you have some really unusual kinds of flavors of honey. I do. Um, my husband and I are also beekeepers. Um, most of the folks don't really want to do this job unless they really keep bees themselves. So uh, we are beekeepers, but we also uh, get honeys from different parts of the country as well. So we do our own honey, but uh, we have honeys from Australia, which is eucalyptus honey, macadamia honey from Hawaii. We have blueberry and blackberry and all the berries that the bees go after. Um, but So there's some really fun ones if you want to try them. I've brought some. Maple honey is my newest honey that I just got, and it's really a rare honey because... The maple blossoms bloom really early in the year. The bees usually aren't even out yet to begin their foraging. So it has to be the right temperature, and this was one of the years that worked really well. Well, I think we need to wrap it up, but I wanted to ask you both um, your biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to get started in this, Uh Becky. I would say get educated. There's some really great uh, clubs. Tampa Bay Beekeepers is here today, too. A lot of the folks from there. Uh, Get involved with a mentor. Get someone to help you. There's a lot to learn. It's much more difficult than it appears to be. You can't just put the box out anymore and let the bees do their own thing. So you've got to learn. But it's really rewarding, as Josh had mentioned as well. Bee College up at University of Florida is an awesome opportunity. They offer it twice a year. Um, usually a two-day period, and your brain will be as full as you can imagine when you leave, but it's very interesting, and we have really one of the top research and development at University of Florida in the country, a brand-new bee lab that was just established, and a lot of the beekeepers donated for that cause. Florida State Beekeepers Association is another venture that you can do. University of South Florida here has a beekeeping class, too, so get involved. Anything to add? I would say in the same way, um, get some education. Don't just buy a box of bees and throw it in your backyard and be a bee haver. You got to learn to be a beekeeper. So um, take a class. Um, try to find someone in your area that's a beekeeper that can help you out and can mentor you. Um, but don't learn too much because you won't want to start if you know it all up front. <laughs> that's a good point. That is good. Josh Harris, an urban beekeeper and owner of Queen and Colony Bee Company, and Becky Deneen, an apiary inspector for the Florida Department of Ag. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Our Thank pleasure. You. Thanks for having us. Does anyone have a question? Linda from Tampa. And I was wondering, how far out do the bees go when they're going out they- to... 
they say they oh, have right. studies that have shown they will go up to five miles, um, but they prefer staying close. And so uh, I think typically it would be about a mile or two what my bees would usually forage. Yeah. Great question, Linda. What's your name and uh, what's your question? Steve from Tampa. I was just wondering uh, what average size hive, what typically, how much honey can you yield from yeah yeah and that's something size. with my hives i try to overall average about 60 pounds a year but i have some colonies that will make over 200 pounds of honey and some that will make 10 pounds of honey and so you definitely have some what i call my rock star colonies and those are the ones that just knock it out of the park but around um i think 50 to 60 pounds a hive you're doing pretty good does that sound right yeah no that's that's um throughout the year usually we get we get up to three harvests a year, yeah. at least I do, um, but yeah. some of them are hit or miss. The fall is the one that I really count on every year, the fall harvest. No, I use a honey extractor, and that you can take the, co- the frames out with a comb. You just cut the wax cappings, and then it's a centrifuge that you spin them. The honey comes out, and you save the comb, and you give it right back to the bees, and they repair any damages, and they re- yeah. reuse it. Question over here. Tell me your name and where you're from and your question. Okay, my name is CB. I'm from uh, Clearwater, and uh, my question is: How do you introduce kids to um, get involved with beekeeping? Or awesome. you know, yeah. The, the uh, I know for Pinellas Beekeepers, which would probably be the closest um, association for you, they actually have an apiary day on the fourth Saturday that they actually allow you to come in and put on a, a veil and, and gloves and allow the children to actually get in and look at the hives. So there's opportunities for kids as well, as long as you as a parent allow them to do that. Yeah. And you can talk to, we have some people from the Tampa Bay beekeeping. I'm yeah. not sure if they have Tampa the Bay. same thing. Tampa Bay has an apiary as well, too. But they would yeah. have some ideas. They're, they're over here. You can talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. We have another question over here. Yes. Um, I'm Yvonne from Tampa, and my question is for Josh. Um, you said you're always looking for homes for your honeybees, and I was just wondering if you ever involve individual homeowners or if they're always, if you need, like, larger chunks. No, we, I do have bees um, on residential properties. Right now I'm looking for larger properties because um, my, my time with transportation is pretty much maxed out right now. So um, right now I'm looking for larger properties where I can keep at least 12 colonies. Okay, thank you. You can also um, go out to some of the Facebook pages that um, Tampa Bay Beekeepers and Pinellas Beekeepers Association have a Facebook page and ask people. There are beekeepers who are looking for for just individual lands to do that with. I have a question. Do they do anything in like high schools where they, you know, they do technical, like teach somebody how to fix a car, teach a, yeah. somebody to, you know, build a cabinet? Do they do anything with beekeeping? University of Florida now has actually created a beekeeping program, so it's now being an accredited class. But we also have schools that are doing beekeeping. Um, Hillsborough County has a beekeeper program that one of the teachers actually has put together so the students can go and and learn how to do beekeeping. There's a couple other schools. Now, if a school is to get involved, they do have to get a permit from us as from the state to have the bees on their facility. But we have to look and determine where they're going to place the hives. But yeah, sure is something that can be done. Any more questions? I don't really have a 
question, but I'm a former beekeeper. Good. Uh, I live in Dunedin now, but my wife and I lived lived in uh, eastern Pennsylvania previously, and I kept bees for 11 years there. But all the bad stuff you just talked about happened to me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, varroa mites, of course. You can't avoid those. I treat it all the time. Uh, the fall brood was the worst. I had to burn Ooh. my hives. But I started all over again with new new equipment and everything. But I got out of it before we moved down here and haven't picked it up yet. So thank you. So there's a few things to learn, too, with Florida beekeeping versus up north. No snow. No snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, you mentioned three harvests. That's amazing because we, right. we got a nice, uh, usually a nice summer harvest and then a smaller, yeah. what we call yeah. the fall harvest or winter harvest. Right. And, which was, for me, it was always almost uh, non-existent. Yeah, I'm sure uh, you'd want to give most of that to the bees too to get through the winter. Right, right. There, Fe- yeah. feeding bees all winter in the spring, heavily feeding, and then right. uh, treating for mites all the time, and yeah. splitting hives, and so on and so forth. Yeah, Thank very you. interesting. Thanks. Yeah. Great questions. Another one over here. Hi, I'm Marco. Uh, just two questions. Um, if you can't control where the bees go, uh, how can you say this is a blueberry honey or orange oh. blossom just by the, perma- the the main taste of it? And also, um, with all the spraying the homeowners do and commercial farms, does any of those pesticides get into the honey? Yes, I love that question, actually. Thank you for asking it. Um, so to be a single source honey, which is where you would get your blueberry or orange blossom honey, the bees have to collect nectar from about 50, at least 51% of what they're collecting from. When a bee actually leaves its hive, you've probably heard of the little waggle dance on a bee. They actually go out and once they've determined a good food source, they're going to go back and tell the rest of the hive and they're going to go back to that food source. But to get a single source, most often the beekeepers are moving their bees to that location where the farmer has the blueberry patch or the, the orange grove. Or in our case, we've got a lot of other different crops that the, the beekeepers will actually place the hives near that. Now, yes, they do have some concerns with the pesticides that are being used on the crops. Um, the beekeepers and the farmers really are trying to work closely together. And those are some of the things that are the state are, are trying to do as well is educate some of the farmers to be planting things that will attract the bees, but also learning when and when not to spray. We, if, if they spray at night, the bees are inside. It's a better way to spray as well. Um, so there's a lot of different things that can be done. Another question over here. Uh, what are some ways that we can incorporate honey and I guess the byproducts of bees um, or not just honey, but I guess bee wax and things that uh, I guess can give a give a boost to the bee keeping industry? You know, whether is, is it just replacing sugar with honey or using bee wax mm, for candle wax or what are some ways that we can uh, support uh, beekeeping as consumers? Yeah, I think anything you do as far as um, buying products that come from bees is ultimately supporting the beekeeping industry. And so I know for uh, my family, we've really cut out um, processed sugars. Um, We use honey and just about everything as a sweetener. I switch with my coffee I have every morning. Instead of putting sugar, I put honey in it. And then uh, with the beeswax, um, my wife makes a lot of um, great body products like hand soaps and lotions and lip balms and uses the beeswax that we produce as a natural solidifier in those. And so, um, so any, anything you're doing that's um, using the bees 
products that they make, that's going to be supporting beekeepers. And, um, and really, without beekeepers, we don't have honeybees in this, in this country. And buy your honey from local beekeepers. Okay, well, thank you all so thank much for being much. here. We want to remind you that we are on Facebook and Instagram at The Zest Podcast. So we'll be posting some of these pictures later. We want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Seitenbacher. And we want to give a huge thank you to Green Bench Mead and Cider and Tampa Bay Beekeepers for coming here with samples. This has been so much fun, such a treat. Thank you all so much for coming. It's been a great day. Go Bees! You can find all of our stories about honey and honeybees at WUSF.org slash honeybees. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to The Zest. It's free and it's easy. You can search for us wherever you get your podcasts or at thezestpodcast.com. I'm Robin Sussingham. Dalia Cologne and I produce The Zest with help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.